kid's making the decision. Of course. LeBron's not going to be involved at all in his yeah, son's no. decision. Wasn't involved in the college decision to keep him in L.A. No, why would you think that? No, I would. Uh, I mean, come on. It's crazy to even go down that road. LeBron's going to take a step back, let Bronny yeah. do whatever LeBron he wants. do whatever he wants. Kid's going to make the decision. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah, why would LeBron be involved? Uh, I am glad Danny started, by the way, with that Anthony Rendon sound. Yeah. About him basically giving us another quote about not wanting to play baseball. That guy's great. Faith and family. Oh, he's great. Yeah. That guy's That's like, his priority should be. Oh, he's like, I got my contract. It's fully guaranteed. I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you guys at <laughs> yeah. 7 in the morning. I don't want to do this. He's great. Uh, Anthony Rendon would not want him to be on my favorite team, but God, he's great. Just the idea that there's a professional baseball player is like, yeah, this sucks. I don't want to be here. It's great. I love that guy. I mean, we didn't have these issues six years ago when he was on the Nationals. So. <laughs> it's because yeah, he didn't get the big contract yet. Anaheim. He hadn't gotten paid yet. He had, yeah, he had to play hard to get the, huh? the mega $200-plus deal or whatever it was, and now he's got it. And he's like, yeah. I guess that's the bright side about being a Nationals fan. Our owner doesn't pay players, so we never have to deal with them with big egos. Somebody might not care. I don't know if Rendon has a big ego. I just think he doesn't want to play baseball. I just think he's like, yeah, He just wants to come do the job and go home. Yeah, he got his fully guaranteed contract. He's like, yeah, my elbow hurts today. It's fine. I'll play 54 games this year. We'll be good. Hey, on my end, I'm excited that these guys were talking at 7 a.m. Are you? You don't want to be there at 7 a.m. I th- I think those I give those reporters a lot of props being there. Oh, They're you're ready. giving the media props. Yes, exactly. ah, it's spring training. <laughs> Come on, getting ah. up early, getting up early for spring training, getting out there to the park. The the thing that sucks about being a baseball writer, it is February 20th, and these guys are covering whatever team they cover in spring training. They had to go to a different city. I know it's warm. It's nice. But, like, they had to leave, go to a different city for a month or so. Yeah. And if you're the beat writer, you're not done covering that team. God forbid they make the playoffs until the first week of yeah. August, or October. It's the longest oh. beat. And uh, they play every day. And it's, it's not like, ah, oh, we got three days off for the next game. It's every damn day. And guys who do it age quickly. Oh, I know and- guys who, who covered uh, – baseball teams uh for 10 12 14 years and they probably age 25 years and it's i'm thinking the longest uh like game day commitment because oh the, you're the, the you're at the park at one o'clock like you're, yeah five hours before yeah. the game yeah brutal i lived with a baseball b writer he was at the park at one o'clock oh for seven o'clock games for seven o'clock games. oh and then at the park at one o'clock games. damn three hour game and then you got to talk you got to write you got to talk you got to write you're home, out of there 11 12 at night and you're back the next day it's disaster. hard beat it's a oh, hard beat disaster there's go, go go cover spring training how about no <laughs> how, about, how about i call we calm down here we don't need to cover spring training i don't need videos of somebody taking a bullpen session Damn ESPN had on their bottom line, Otani Homer's in first bullpen session. Yeah. Or whatever the hell it was. First live BP. Uh, Yeah, first live BP. Somebody's up there lobbing pitches to him. No, they're going hard. Kershaw can't even throw. He's just softball pitching up to him. Everybody like Ed cares that he homered in his first BP. It was beautiful. Here we go. The first bite. Would you rather work for Antonio Pierce or Magic Johnson? Now, this is an easy answer for me because Magic was my all-time favorite player. Oh, so, okay. 
I mean, it's not. So you're even, working, even though he's a yeah, part even owner of a I football I don't even know team. how much he owns, <laughs> and I don't know how much he even has. A, I don't even know if he knows he owns it. He owns so many things around the world that I don't even know if he owns if he knows he owns part of the Commanders. His agent might have just signed the deal, uh, but I'm going Magic. So Antonio Pierce was on the Pivot podcast with Ryan Clark, and Clark asked Pierce about Cliff Kingsbury who, if you don't remember, was reportedly getting hired as the Raiders' offensive coordinator. And then two days later, Cliff Kingsbury was no longer going to be the Raiders' offensive coordinator and became the commander's offensive coordinator, which Magic Johnson owns a piece of. Pierce, on that podcast, said, I thought we had a guy, but not for long. Until you put pen to paper, that's the one thing I've learned, no different than in free agency. Teams are recruiting and things are going on. Listen, Magic Johnson is pretty good. I guess he can still dish it out a little bit. If I'm losing the magic, I'm okay with that. At the end of the day, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. <laughs> if I'm losing the magic. That is not a very Raiders way thing to say. Well, that he's okay just, losing the magic Johnson? I just thought he was going to say the guy that they were interviewing, like he like he said before when he was asked about him after it didn't work out, is some guys are Raiders, some guys aren't. Yeah, well, thought, just leave it at that. Yeah, well. Quick side note, when I think it was Vic Tafer and Paul Gutierrez talked to, to Antonio Pierce at Radio Row, he said, I don't talk about guys that aren't Raiders. Right, exactly. Now he's talking about now it. Now he's talking about it. Come now on, Antonio. Stay yeah, consistent. Exactly. We can't be going on other podcasts talking about it. If you're not going to talk about him, don't talk about him. But listen, saying if I'm losing to Magic, I'm okay with that. Who, w Antonio Pierce is okay with losing to somebody? Especially a guy who's more known for basketball. <laughs> That's not a very Raiders and way is thing it, to and do. Is a part owner of the Dodgers. Yeah, it's not a very Raiders way thing to do. If they lose the, if they were to lose the Super Bowl to the Washington Commanders, by the way, hell of a matchup that would be. What are the odds on those two meeting in the Super Bowl? <laughs> but if they were to lose the Super Bowl to the to the Commanders, and Magic Johnson's on stage with the Super Bowl trophy, is Antonio Pierce saying, "Ah, it's fine. We lost to Magic. Yeah, I can I'm, accept I'm okay that. with that. I'm okay. Get out of here. Yeah, you got to be the Raiders way every time. Sure. Come on. And then here's the real part of this that I find interesting and. This is where I think Antonio Pierce is putting on an act every single time he talks. Adam Schefter reported that the Raiders lost Cliff Kingsbury because they weren't willing to offer him a three-year contract. Mm -hmm. They wanted to go two. And, they, and the commanders were willing to go three, and that's why Kingsbury took the commander's offer. And if that's accurate, maybe Adam Schefter's report is wrong. That's entirely possible, but I'm guessing that came straight from Cliff Kingsbury. If that's accurate, then Antonio Pierce didn't lose to Magic Johnson. Antonio Pierce lost because the Raiders weren't willing to right. give up an extra an year extra on the contract. Year on the deal. And so when Antonio Pierce is like, ah, if you're losing to Magic Johnson, it's okay, he's lying. He didn't lose to Magic Johnson. He just sounds better to him to say, ah, oh, we lost well, to Magic it's, Johnson. Well, it's a great soundbite to bring up Magic Johnson. Right, which is why I think he's putting on an act almost every time he talks. This whole idea of like the Raiders way and I'm too cool for everything, it's an act every time he talks because that's not accurate. And everybody knows that's not accurate. Did Magic Johnson have anything to do with Cliff Kingsbury signing with the Commanders? No chance. Did Cliff Kingsbury look around and say, man, I've always dreamed of playing for no Magic chance. Johnson or coaching? <laughs> like, that's a is ridiculous Ma Is Magic thing. the closer at the car dealership? Did, did, he even, did Magic he even talk to Cliff? No. Like, that's what's ridiculous about this. And we all know that. And that's why I think all these times that Antonio Pierce talks, he's putting on a fake tough guy act. To be like, ah, I'm such a badass. I'm the coach of the Raiders. I have to be a badass every time I open my mouth. When in reality, you just got outbid because the other team was giving them a better contract offer. 
Yeah, but that they, doesn't sound as three cool. Two, it doesn't sound as good, though. Right. Which, by the way, some other questions, because I know we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. If they were only offering the offensive coordinator a two-year contract, what is Antonio Pierce's contract length? Five? Does I mean, most head coaches get five. Yeah. Does he have a five-year contract? I would assume he does. I would assume he got five years. Why would you Why would be... you not give King, Cliff Kingsbury three? Yeah, like if, if Pierce has a five-year deal, why would anybody in the organization be worried about giving Kingsbury three years when they're willing to do yeah. two? Like that that's the part that was very strange to me is like why wouldn't the Raiders go to three if you know they wanted to hire him so presumably Pierce thought this well, is you think the guy. Pierce might be three I don't know like it just seems very very strange to me that you wouldn't go to a third year we're not talking about going from like two to five yeah we're, go- we're going from two to three that very weird to me and follow up to that did Luke Getze only get a two-year deal I mean, I'd if, have to assume I'd so. I'd have to assume so if Kingsbury didn't get yeah. three. And Getze was not the first option. Kingsbury right. was. I'd, exactly. I'd have a hard time believing they give Getze more, especially because, I'm trying to remember, at the time, like there was no way Getze was getting a different offensive coordinator job. Right. I think there were still a couple other openings, but this was it. Like yeah. they, could, they could have offered him like half of your deal, and he probably yeah. would have taken it. Like, yeah, we'll reassess after week seven. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got a team option for weeks eight through 17 the rest of the year. So uh, that was Antonio Pierce on the Pivot Podcast. Um, The other thing he said, and he went on Max Crosby's podcast as well, Antonio Pierce said, we've got the Jordan rules, talking about Michael Jordan, and we've got what I'm calling now, from now as long as I'm here, the Patrick Mahomes rules. You remember when Jordan was going through it with the Pistons, all those guys in the 80s before he became Michael Jordan, Air Jordan, the Pistons used to whip his ass anytime he came to the hole, elbows, feeling him, love taps, we're in his head, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I'm touching you. So I showed my guys Jordan getting his ass whooped. What are the Mahomes rules? I mean, like you say here, to hit him more? I don't know. This is just, once again, can you win something? <laughs> can you not go 8-9? and nine? Just not. Just yeah, don't go five and four. Just don't. Just don't, just don't go eight nine. Get 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 to a wild card spot before all this stuff comes out. <laughs> if, you, if you listen to all these quotes, it's like they it's like they've been in the playoffs the last five years, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like just calm down. The guys won three out of the last five Super Bowls. <laughs> calm down. But Ed, they beat him on Christmas Day. That's, oh, that's, that's right. That's better than everything that's right. else. And didn't complete a pass the last three quarters. <laughs> Antonio Pierce is going to be my favorite head coach. Of any team that, like, I think we've ever talked, like, Las Vegas team that we've talked about. Because either he is going to be awesome, and he's going to give quotes like this, and he's just going to be the most beloved. He's going to pass John Madden as the most beloved coach in Raiders history. Because if you win while talking like this, every single fan is going to love you. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened, and it's going to be hilarious. Or he's not going to be. Or he's getting fired halfway through yeah. year two because they're 3-20 and 20 under him, and he's still walking around saying, well, we got the Mahomes rules. <laughs> and you're going to be like, what are you talking about? You guys can't win a game. It, he's going to be awesome. And like he's done two – this guy's going to do more podcasts than we do radio right, shows. Exactly. And we do three hours every yeah. day. He's, he's awesome. I can't get enough of this, even though a lot of it I feel like is fake tough guy stuff. I love this. So, I mean, he's going to do six more podcasts before the end of the month. We got like eight days. I love the quotes, but it's like, okay, everyone's like, come on, dude. Can you win some? I mean, I think, win, I think a lot of them are go, like made up 
like I'm a badass type quote, right. but oh, they're great. I hope he never stops. No, I, it's great for us. <laughs> great for content, which is what you know, which is what we love. Great for uh, columns. Yes. Great for everything, but yeah. it's they're funny. They're, yes. No one takes it seriously. I mean, you. Sh- I mean, uh, Raiders well, Raiders fans, fans, Raiders fans do. Um, we don't take it seriously. Yeah. Is he going to pull the Dana White and just walk off the set seven seconds into a podcast and say, "I'm tired of doing all these podcasts"? No, I think he loves doing them. Yeah, I think he. I think he loves. I think he loves the spotlight. Yeah. There's no and here's there's no there's no real negatives for him right now. No, hasn't. Co- not, I mean, hasn't coached the game as yeah. the, as the real coach yet. You can't really say anything like, "Ah, you sucked." Like they went five and four last year yeah. under him, and now he's the head coach, and now he can say, "I don't have to deal with Aiden O'Connell and Bo Hart." Agree, we're going to be good. The can Mahomes we? rules. The Mahomes rules. Those are that's going to come back to bite him so bad. The Chiefs are going to beat him forty-five to fourteen in one you're of these games. You're next taking year. shots at the guy. Oh, who's won three they're going to beat him forty-five to fourteen. They it's, might sweep him for the rest of the time. Well, that might have happened anyway. That could have happened anyway. All right, coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get into the running Rebels after they blew a big lead against them. Back to DJ. DJ comes middle of the floor. They double-team him. DJ dribbles out of the double-team. DJ into the lane to Jackie Johnson. Open for a three in the right corner. It's good. What a play by DJ Thomas. Great job absorbing that double-team, attacking the big guy's hips, playing through it, and finding your shooter in the corner. Follow the guys on Twitter at Ed Graney and at Bischoff underscore Tyler. The mojo. You know who lost their mojo? <laughs> the running Rebels. Now, 13 and 5 still in play? Yeah, if they if go they undefeated. Win out. Okay. <laughs> the regular right. season. Still in play. So Start with the Air Force game. UNLV took a 62 53 lead with 531 to play against Nevada. The Wolfpack outscored the Rebels 16-4 to the rest of the game. Uh, Nevada scored on seven straight possessions. UNLV's final 10 possessions, they scored four points. They shot two of six, uh, 0 of three from three, and they went 0 for four on free throws, plus had two turnovers. At one point in this game, UNLV's win probability by Ken Palm was 93.1%. How bad of a choke job was that by See, UNLV. We haven't talked about this often in the past. Like I hate the word choke. You hate the word choke? I do. I hate the word choke. They didn't play well. They didn't play well down the stretch. And I think Nevada did some things that they hadn't done the first 35 minutes that got them got them the win. But I do. I hate the word choke. Especially for college kids. I just I do. I so you I don't just, like it if I say DJ Thomas choked at the free oh throw line? Oh my god, no. I don't like that at all. <laughs> he played a really good game. It is Extremely unfortunate because that was one of DJ Thomas's maybe his best game of the entire season. And he missed two free throws in the final minute that would have given UNLV a one-point lead. Instead, they're down one, had to foul. Nevada didn't miss a free throw the rest of the way, and UNLV didn't hit a three at the end that could have tied the game. Um, DJ Thomas was really good for the first 38 minutes or so of that game. Um, but he missed those two free throws, and that was a critical thing. By the way, on his free throw shooting, first 18 games of the season, DJ Thomas was shooting 62.5%. Right. Wasn't, wasn't good. In the previous five – he was 6 of 6 at the free throw line in that game before those two misses. So in the previous five games plus before those two misses, he was 26 of 28 from mm-hmm. the free throw line and then missed two in a row down by one in the final minute brutal for dj thomas but here's what i think the real problem is unlv's roster 
is a whole bunch of guys that have transferred in from other schools and DJ Thomas. DJ Thomas is a freshman. The rest of this roster are guys that played multiple years in the SEC, multiple years in the Big 12, right? They've got guys that have played college basketball for a very long time, and none of that has translated to consistency across the entire season. We've talked about the games themselves, right, where they have lost to Southern, they've lost to Air Force, they've lost to Loyola Marymount, and they've played horrific in some of those games, but they've also beaten Creighton beaten New Mexico beaten twice, Boise. where they've played awesome. It's such a volatile team. And isn't the whole point of getting the older transfer players to stop that from happening? Like, if you had a team full of DJ Thomases, you had a team full of freshmen that were good, but they were all freshmen, you would expect that team to be volatile because they're all freshmen. But if you have a team where there's one freshman and the rest of the roster are fourth and fifth year college guys isn't the whole point of that to have a consistent output every single game yeah I'm not gonna argue with that they're veteran players they like you said they've been through tough conferences and that's what we heard when they came in oh you know he's big 12 you know groomed he's SEC played in the SEC um that's what we heard uh again third year now there's been a lot of this because I think of the turnover yeah because it's it's an, uh, essentially basically a new team each year, and to gain that consistency, I think it's tough to do when you're turning over that many players. And they're going to do the same thing this off season. Well, they're losing they're losing some key guys. Yeah. In theory, Justin Webster, Rob Whaley are back for next year. Not not just sorry, DJ Thomas and Rob Whaley are back for next year. They could get a medical redshirt for Jalen Hill, and you could have those three back though. Hill didn't play but half the season, so I don't know how much consistency you would consider that, but at least he's here. But then outside of that, Justin Webster, Luis Rodriguez, and the Boone Twins, four guys in your top seven or eight, done. all gone. Like, they're done. So you're going to have maybe three significant pit players come back, and you're going to have to find four to five rotation slash starter players, uh, starters to get out of the portal, or, I mean, you could have another freshman, obviously, and bring them in and try to do it again next season, but... There's not going to be – there'll be some, assuming they can keep Thomas and Whaley, but there might not be a whole lot. And then big picture, they haven't had the consistency. You look at that game against Nevada and that final five minutes, yes, DJ Thomas missed those two free throws, but Keelan Boone also went 0 for 2 on a trip to the free throw line. And Keelan Boone, there were three straight possessions where he gave up a layup. Three straight – when they, Nevada, cut the lead down to one – the three straight possessions before that, he gave up a layup because he didn't want to foul. And post-game, Kevin Kruger said they got timid defensively. He didn't call out Keelan Boone by name, but that was 100% Keelan Boone. Right? He did not want to commit his fifth foul and foul out of the game, and he gave up three layups in a row. That was one thing that I noticed in the game, and I even talked to Steve and John afterwards, was when uh, Reno had two guys get their fourth foul, and UNLV never attacked those two guys. But then when Keelan got his fourth, he immediately came out for about two minutes, two and a half minutes or so. And then once he came back in, Reno just attacked him down low, and that's how they were getting those easy baskets. Caleb Boone, 
um, was basically not involved except for one play in which he threw a high-low pass straight out of bounds. An unpressured pass just threw it out of bounds. I remember that. Luis Rodriguez had a turnover and airballed a three. Right, airballed a three from the corner. In the final five minutes. And by the way, that three was when they doubled Caleb Boone in the post. They kick it out because lots of teams just leave Luis Rodriguez because they realize what I've been yelling for two years. The guy can't shoot threes but has the greenest light on the team. Airballed the three. Those are the three guys that are the old experienced players, and all three of them were horrible in the final five minutes. Yes, DJ Thomas missed the two free throws, but you get one play from those three, just one competent play from those three, and you still probably win that game. All right, well, they didn't play well down the stretch. They choked. I mean, I, no, I don't use that word. I don't use that word for college <laughs> kids or high school kids. I, I, don't, I don't even know if I use it for pros. I don't like that word. Um, they didn't play well. Can I say they blew it? Is that an acceptable phrasing? I think that's more acceptable. They were up nine with five minutes left. They blew it. Um, biggest win probabilities for UNLV in games that they lost this year. Utah State game, they had a 97.2% win probability. That's the five-point play at the very end. Southern, UNLV's win probability to start the game was 97.2%. But when it was 22-12, to 12, <laughs> that went really down. This game against Nevada was 93.1%. And that was late in the second yeah. half. Uh, Air Force, just like Southern, was 918 to start. And then they got blown out. The St. Mary's game, UNLV at one point in the second overtime, had an 84% chance to win. Uh, and then the Colorado State game was 74%. And that was during? Uh, yeah, that was with, I want to say, like nine minutes left in the second half before Isaiah Stevens decided that, oh, yeah, I'm the best player on the floor. I should do that now. But basically, two of those games are just the Southern and Air Force game, just complete yeah. disasters. But they have had four games now where they have had a significant lead in the second half and have not been able to hold on and win. And the Southern and Air Force losses are bad, but if they had held on and win those those games, we probably are talking about a legitimate NCAA tournament resume, right? The Southern and Air Force right. losses would be hard to overcome because of how it, they weren't just losses. They were by 17 and 32 or whatever that Southern loss was. But if you have another – if you add to their resume another Utah State win, a Nevada win, a St. Mary's win, and a Colorado State well, win. Well, it's an NCAA resume. They're right. Probably going to the, they're, one right. Of these, they're one of these Mountain West teams being mentioned yeah. as an NCAA tournament team. They're on the bubble for sure. Maybe they get left Maybe out because they say, well, you lost to Air Force by 32, but they're in the conversation. Right. And we're talking about, okay, can they finish strong? Can they pick up another win against – San Diego State or at the, on the road against Nevada because those will be quad one games. Boy, they win all those games, and my 13-5 and five is looking good. <laughs> well, that's, that's what you need. <laughs> that's what you need. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, David Roth joins the show. He is adorned in flannel and still might not have a building super. He's apparently too good for a hot plate now. David Roth from Defector is here to tell us about his uninstalled appliances. Subscribe to The Distraction, a multitude production for Defector. Listen to The Distraction wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, David. Hey, David. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. I am good because, yes, football season and the content machine that the NFL is is over, but spring training is here and the Angels are a disaster, and it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, first, Mike Trout said he's not going to ask for a trade yet, but that, that might come in the future. Uh, when does Mike Trout actually ask for a trade? I've been so struck by those quotes because it's like if you've been somebody that um, like makes dumb mistakes in your life, like if you ever like 
stayed in a relationship that wasn't working for too long because it's important to see things through or whatever. You just want to grab him and be like, Mike, you don't have to live like this, dude. (laughs) The quote was like, that's the easy way out. Like, leaving, being happy, going to play in the playoffs, (laughs) like, that's not for me. Like, I think we've all, we understand what I'm dealing with here. I wish he would ask for a trade, honestly. Like, he's not from my part of New Jersey, but he's still from New Jersey, and I want him to be happy. And I also feel like it's just, I mean, I don't know they wouldn't be able to get as much in return for him. I mean, he might be worth more to the Angels than he is to any other team. But at the same time, it's like they just haven't – they've signed a bunch of, like, decent relief pitchers. I can't tell what they're doing. I I mean, even by Angel standards, I can't tell what they're doing. Like, I feel terrible for him. If it was – if they were doing standard Angel stuff where they were just like – we signed, like, Justin Upton, but, like – this version of Justin Upton, like the guy that's been retired for three years. We signed him. Like that would at least be like, all right, well, it's the Angels doing Angels things. Like in this case, signing a bunch of middle relievers that you're probably planning on flipping for 19-year-old prospects at the trade deadline, like that does not qualify as a plan to me. Well, if you like those quotes, what did you think about Anthony Rendon? (laughs) I I mean, this is what's so great about the Angels, man. It's like – you know, people talk about mental health awareness, and it's important, you know, that you know, uh, you know, sort of how you're doing and, and check up on yourself and all that. If you didn't know any of that and you just followed baseball, like, you'd hear these guys to be like, oh, I think I understand what it means now to, like, be depressed or to be codependent. <laughs> the Rendon ones where he's just kind of like, yeah, I hate baseball. I hate being here with you guys right now. <laughs> like, it's like, all right, man. Like, that's there's a part of me that, like, it, that's a, a perfectly reasonable way to feel about any job. You know, like, I'm sure that he would rather be doing other stuff. He's also uh, made, like, $200 million from them already and has, uh, he has, like, 13 homers since Joe Biden became president. <laughs> like, at some point, you have to kind of just be like, I'm doing my best. I'm in the best shape of my life. Like, until you've actually um, done a good job with the new team, like, you can't really talk like that, in my opinion. Is that is that a real stat? Thirteen home runs yes. since Joe Biden. Thirteen home, thirteen home runs since Joe Biden became president, and one of them was off a Brett Phillips pitch, like the outfielder <laughs> Brett Phillips that was moving forty eight miles an hour. A friend pointed out. So the funny thing about Rendon to me is he talks the way like I will tell my fiance, "Hey, you don't need to take your job this seriously. Like it's fine. Just calm down a little bit about it." And yet, this is a professional baseball player, and we despise that in our athletes. We can't stand it when they're like, "Eh, I don't really want to be here." Yeah, Ray Rado wrote a great column for us about that yesterday. It was basically like. It's hard because you have to kind of hold both of those things in, in your head. Like, there's a part of me, like, if it were a friend who was like, it's more important to me. And I have friends that have done this, you know, guys that, like, go to law school, get a job at a firm. They get to be, like, 36 years old. They got a couple of kids, and they're just like, well, I don't want to, like, make partner more than I want to hang out with my kids. You know, and, like, you can do that. You can kind of downshift. You get judged there, and, like, you sort of get stymied it's harder to do that with baseball you know and i sort of like when my friends made that decision all i could do was be supportive of it like i think it's exactly the right choice like if you're letting work wreck your brain and your mood and make it so that you can't do the actual important stuff in your life with any joy in it then you should leave that job the problem with that is that there's a lot of lawyers there's only like a couple of guys that can play third base at a good enough level in Major League Baseball to get a nine-figure salary. 
And Rendon becoming one of those, you know, like trying to put himself on the mommy track is like I respect it. It's just like it's kind of hard. Like you've they've signed that dotted line at this point. Do you believe Giannis when he says he pays no attention to basketball and doesn't even know who he's playing on a given night? No. Yeah, that's such a weird – he's a weird guy. I like him. He's a stranger dude than I think I thought he was. When he came into the league and he was, you know, getting on Twitter and being like, I just had a smoothie. The whole universe is open to me. The world is full of joy. Like, that version of him is still the one that I kind of think of. But he's got some kind of, like, Kobe brain tendencies now. Like, him fighting the Pacers for that game ball earlier this year. Sort of like there's something, something weird emerging in his uh, consciousness. Why you would even say that, I don't know. Like, is that... It's supposed to show how focused you are on yourself and the stuff you can control. Is that the idea? I uh, just blame Doc Rivers. I think that's the ultimate scenario here. Doc just didn't tell him who they were playing. They didn't watch any film, so he doesn't know. I wonder. There's no way that they wind up with a third coach this year, right? <laughs> they should. <laughs> Which, is there a chance that somehow like George Carl gets like bro- like unfrozen and like transported there to manage them through the playoff? It feels like I don't know. I mean, I imagine that Doc will sort of figure it out, but they lost a game to Memphis right before the All Star break, and this is like a very diminished Memphis team. And it was like all the Bucks were in the game. You know, like it was like Middleton. I don't know. I think left that game, but it was like Damian Lillard and Giannis on to losing to a bunch of like guys named Williams on the Grizzlies that you like faintly remember from the SEC a few years ago. Not good. Okay, did you see the George it, Carl tweet? Yeah, on the hot seat. Even if you've been the coach for nine games, did you see the George Carl tweet? Yeah, he's oh. amazing. So- I mean, <laughs> the you should read it to the. People so, so they know what it is. So, so we're not yeah. just talking like George Carl super fans. So uh, quick context for anybody. Carmelo Anthony wore number 15 for the Nuggets. Nikola Jokic wears 15 for the Nuggets now. George Carl tweeted, happy B-Day to the champ, the ultimate team guy, and the greatest player to wear number 15 in Denver Hoops history. And then it's a picture of Jokic holding the finals MVP trophy. And he tagged Carmelo Anthony in the tweet. Just, I mean... So look, obviously, I don't need to tell your listeners. They're they're normal people. They're listening to this show. Don't be like that. Like that's not any <laughs> kind of way for a person to be. Like in real life, but somehow George Carl being, and I don't use the term hater very much. I don't think it's like a. a I think it's an overused term. That is like hating at an apex level. He could be doing anything with his life right now. He's like 75 years old or something. So the idea that he or his social media assistant is like tagging Carmelo in on that, it's like, again, I wouldn't want to be that way, but that's a guy who's just living his ideals. You have to tip your cap at some point. Uh, The other baseball story I wanted to ask you about is the Fanatics jerseys being crappy? Is that a funny story, or do you think this is like actually a little bit serious? So it's funny because they look so crappy. Like it looks like something that you would be given on like a giveaway day yep. at the stadium. Like yep. it should have like Hormel logo on one of the sleeves or something. Like it's not. It does not look professional grade. I can, and I, I will give you the the quick version of it. I don't think it's funny because it like feels like everything else to me. Like it just feels like everywhere you go, there is an attempt by um, you know, like by Boeing, by you know, fanatics, by you know, pick wherever 
to just sort of try to figure out how crappy a product they can sell you at the price that they used to sell you a much better product without them getting in trouble. And I don't even know what getting in trouble looks like. Fanatics has this contract. Like, it's done. Nike could get mad at them. MLB could get mad at them. But at some point, all of those guys are going to go out there this year wearing their crappy-looking knockoff parking lot jerseys. And there's nothing much that you can really do about it. I don't think that Fanatics... I don't know what Fanatics is good at yet. You know, like, they've got all these different businesses, and all I ever see is people complaining because they, like ordered a Matt Chapman jersey and they get it and it's just got like a random array of characters on the back and it says like, you know, not quite Blue Jays, it's like close, but there's like two letters wrong. That's, it's embarrassing that they're like that and yet at the same time, embarrassing for whom? You know, <laughs> it's not, it's not stopped them from continuing to expand. It hasn't stopped their CEO from, you know, having a billion dollars. So, I don't know. I want to believe that enough people are going to look at those and be like, I'm not going to pay you $400 for that jersey. But again, I don't know what that does for them. I don't know that any of this impacts the bottom line. I just think it sucks that jerseys look lame. Like, baseball jerseys are cool, you know? They shouldn't look cheap like that. We were saying the pants are small, medium, and large. Yeah, there's no there's, <laughs> there's no, no waist size. There's no waist length. size, like XL, double XL, like put your pants on. They're very lucky that they're making these products in a post-Jonathan Broxton era. I think that they would have been... <laughs> there's no way that they would have been able to stand up to the big boys of the aughts. It is, I've actually like kind of thought that was... Because it's, like, it's a funny thing. As with everything about this story, it's funny to read... There's an athletic story that quoted all these pitchers. I think it was like Carlos Estevez of the Rockies was like, I have a really big butt. Like, I can't wear these. Like, they need to make them special for my butt. It's huge. And, like, that's funny because he's talking about his butt. But also, like, that's correct. You know what I mean? Like, the idea of not being – I mean, part of the way that players show their personality to the extent that they do is by getting their, you know, uniforms tailored a certain way. So the idea of, like, Robbie Ray pitching in just, like, normal-looking pants – feel bad for him like that's clearly like it's really important to him uh that his pants be like applied using a spray paint uh device. before we let you go i like to find out what level of depravity you sink to to watch college basketball uh saturday night unlv and nevada played a game that tipped off at 8 35 here in vegas which would have mean an 11 35 start <laughs> time for you did you watch any of that game I did not. I will oh. say Saturday was my birthday. Oh, so this was, birthday. Which is fine. And by 11.30, like, we were home. I was not uh, going to bed yet. But the idea of just, like, my wife takes me out for a nice dinner. We have, like, a cool New York City day. And then just being like, I got to watch this Mountain West game. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that. <laughs> Check back with me next year. Like, I feel like that version of me is somehow, like, it's still in process. But I can't say that it'll never exist. He is David Roth from Defector. We look forward to you tuning in to a Mountain West game at 11.35. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Oh, same. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> Have a good one. So there is David Roth from Defector. Um, 8.35 here. It's, it's late for a start time, but the fact that a game, a college basketball game, was tipping off, and if someone on the East Coast wanted to watch it. 11.35. It started at 11.35. 11.35. That means like UNLV blew that lead away at one thirty right. AM the next day for people. And so 
anytime you, you're out here and you're like, ah, oh, there's an East Coast bias, that's why. <laughs> I Listen, if you if somebody who covers college basketball for a living, hell, if somebody on the selection committee was like, I'm not watching that game. Like I'm just not doing it on the east in the east time zone. I'd be like, okay, right, that's fine. You should yes, you should sleep. Sleep is better than watching that game because it ended at one thirty a.m. It's brutal. It's TV. Yeah, I mean that's, that's all it is. It's that's TV. when when the we get it every year at some point. Coaches or athletic directors complain about start time. Oh, we actually, absolutely. We actually Day, get it days, more nights. Yeah, we get it more in time. football than we do in basketball. Yes, I feel what like nights you play, but yeah. Th- that's why, because you end up with a just a random regular season game on a Thursday that's starting at, at eight o'clock, thirty, and right. you're like, "What? Are, what are we doing here?" Right. So, and then you're like, "Oh, the Eastern Time Zone. Nobody tuned in because they were all asleep." Right. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. All right, coming up next, uh, we'll get into the Las Vegas A's because we got some uh, not fun details about them. There are doubts everywhere about the A's because here's the one thing that they have proven themselves adept at, being completely incompetent. You know, I was talking with somebody (laughs) yesterday uh, doing a story on expansion, and, you know, the, the A's came up because the A's need to be in place in Las Vegas in order for MLB to expand two more teams, which is looking like it's going to be 2030 or so. But, uh, you know, this person who's been dealing with the A's is like, do they do they know what they're doing? Like, is is this a joke? <laughs> the whole process has been messed up from the start. And if this thing fell apart, it would surprise absolutely nobody. You're listening to the press box on 100.9 FM and 1100 AM. That was Jeff Passan. He was on PTI at the end of last week. He was specifically asked about other MLB owners doubting the A's moving to Las Vegas, and that was part of his answer. So you think other MLB owners are doubting the A's and moving to Las Vegas? I mean, I believe just reporting. Um, it's just, as we go along here, renderings, um, you know, the site, everything about it, there's been no really concrete information put out. Yep. So if I'm an owner, you know, looking towards Las Vegas, I'm like, what's going on there? What's happening? Here's my main question. Why did MLB and MLB owners approve all of this? And why have they been giving the A's basically a break every step of the way? Right. They waived the relocation fee. Why did other owners say, no, thank you, we don't want money? the 300 or $350 million relocation right. fee? Every MLB owner could have had roughly $10 million by charging a relocation fee. Why did they waive that? Why did they vote to approve a move to Las Vegas when there's no ballpark plan and there's no funding plan? We we nobody knows how John Fisher's paying for this. Right. All that we know is that he has three hundred and eighty million dollars in public funding and that he's trying to sell part of the team to fund building the ballpark. But he apparently doesn't have those people ready to go. Why have the other owners and Rob Band for the commissioner why have they been okay in allowing all of this to happen without any details in place? Have they been so desperately desiring to get out of Oakland? I don't think they want out of Oakland. Like, if you well, ask Major League well, Baseball to pick which cities they want to be in, Oakland's one of them. 
They want a new ballpark in Oakland. And maybe that's why they just didn't think it was it was not doable at all. And so they said, okay, if it's not doable at all, we'll look to Las Vegas. I mean, you're right about one thing in terms of Oakland because of the Bay Area market. Yeah. They don't I if you're if you were starting the league now and you knew and you had picking, a new ballpark and picking locations and you knew you had a new ballpark. Oakland's on the list and it's not even really a question whether or not Oakland's on the list. Hell, Oakland's going to be one of the top cities to possibly get an expansion team assuming Major League Baseball expands at some point. Like I I guess I just don't understand why the owners would are op- bending over backwards right, for John for Fisher John Fisher to go to Las Vegas when there's been no plan in place and the whole idea of like why wasn't Oakland working and all of that there's a lot of blame that goes to a lot of different parties in that but if John Fisher can't fund the the 1.2 billion that he needs for the ballpark here how is he ever going to make anything in Oakland right. work either like if he can't find a billion dollars here what was right it was never it, happening right so i like that that to me if i'm an mlb owner that's probably the biggest question i have right now is how are you paying for this and if you're telling me that you can't that you have to sell part of your team then you shouldn't be the owner of the team anymore because everyone would agree at major league baseball level that the a's need a new ballpark right Absolutely. that's that's the number yes. one thing here yes. that they're like they, the a's need a new ballpark yes. And if you're now telling me that, oh, you got $380 million in public funding and you still can't afford it, you can't be the owner of the team. Like, well, maybe that's the next step for the owners if they're sitting back yeah. doubting this guy at every turn. And so I'm curious because Jeff Passan mentioned that he talked to a guy who's been dealing with the A's and their move or potential move. Who Who is that guy? Dave Cobble? <laughs> well, no, because he said that guy said that, <laughs> said that they were a joke. Well... Maybe it is Dave Cobble Cob- is like, we are maybe, a joke. Maybe it is Dave Cobble saying, you know what? We're a joke. We can't even get renderings out. Goodman? Carolyn Goodman? Yeah. Oh, God. I think Jeff Passon's There's a little no bit There's no way Jeff Passon's going to Carolyn Goodman. <laughs> I reached out to see if she would come on the show. I got a hard no. Oh, oh man. That would have been fun. Good for you, Danny. Yeah. I got a, please see her statement on Twitter. It's a good swing. I, I appreciate that swing, Danny. <laughs>